Welcome to Event Up, the place where people enthusiastic about events stay in the know on the latest trends within the events industry. Live, hybrid, and virtual experiences. From virtual events to conferences, award galas, and everything in between. Here's your host, Amanda Ma. Welcome to Event Up, the place to get the latest and greatest in event industry news, ideas, and topics. In this episode, we will be discussing all things fundraising and nonprofit events and how they can produce a successful fundraising event. Today, I'm joined by one of our own, Carrie Sato, Corporate Event Manager here at Innovate Marketing Group. Carrie's event journey began in 2016 when she was hired to coordinate the silent auction for the Asian American Advancing Justice Los Angeles Annual Gala. And from there, her journey as a planner really started to blossom. And here at Innovate Marketing Group, she helped lead numerous impactful events, big and small. And she actually recently just finished a nonprofit event for Janin, which is Japanese American National Museum. And it was super successful. So I'm very excited that we could bring her onto this podcast to share some of her tips and pearls of wisdom. Now let's jump in. Carrie, how did you get started working with nonprofits and why are nonprofits so important to the community? Yeah, thanks for having me, Amanda. Um, so I got started working in nonprofits because I was working in the corporate field um, and felt really unfulfilled. Um, so I got recommended to a job working on the programmatic side of nonprofits, which wasn't exactly where I was um, being successful. But every nonprofit has their fundraising event, and it turned out that I was leaning in to help out with their fundraising event and figured out this is really where I enjoy the work. So from there, I started looking for, um, in the nonprofit world, it's called development. So I started looking for development roles at other nonprofits and came across a temporary job at the at Asian Americans Advancing Justice Los Angeles, where I took on the silent auction and I guess they liked working with me. So they brought me on full time. And from there, it really just um, snowballed into fundraising roles, event roles, and helping to um, really bring the organization more fundraising dollars. Um, but nonprofits, whether you know they're large ones like Red Cross or even smaller, more niche nonprofits, they are so important to the community. I think the greatest thing about nonprofits is that they provide services for anything and everything. If, if English is not your first language and you need help navigating an immigration system, there's a nonprofit to help you with that. If you found a dog on the side of the road with a broken leg because it was hit by a car, there's a nonprofit that could help with that. You know, there's just so many different fields of nonprofit work that can be as broad as healthcare access, and then as narrow as providing very specific language services to immigrants. I think that it's so important to feel like you can go someplace to get the services and the help that you need. And this is where nonprofits really fill that gap between 
um, within the community to provide those services and programmings. It's so true. And it's really, truly wonderful that there are such a diversity in terms of nonprofit. So you're right, no matter what it is you need, there is a nonprofit out there. Right. And I know you currently sit on the board of the Gardena Valley Japanese Culture Institute as well. So that's really wonderful that you continue to give back in different capacity as well. In terms of nonprofit, you know, a lot of people think they just fundraise once a year and then they're done. Is that true? <laughs> Absolutely not. I mean, the name nonprofit speaks for itself. Um, you're not getting a constant revenue stream or having paid services. And the only way for your nonprofit to be sustainable is if you're constantly fundraising. Sure, you may put on one you know, huge fundraising event like a gala or a golf tournament or something a year, but you need to continue to look at diversifying your portfolio of giving, engaging with different corporate grant programs, engaging with your individual donors, hopefully getting some of those planned gifts um, or any other number of fundraising efforts in order to continue providing your essential services. So fundraising is a year round task <laughs> for sure. Yeah, I, I always say always be asking. You know, <laughs> I sit on multiple boards as you know, and you're right because it's not just a one time. I think that's like, of course, the biggest one, you know, typically there's like that big gala or big fundraising event, but a lot of them do. And if they do it correctly, right, they should be fundraising all the time. Just like a running a business, you're always looking for more business. It doesn't just stop, right? So same with nonprofit because only with those funding that you can do the good work that they do. And especially for these fundraising events, I think what's really great is because a lot of time with some foundation money or grants, they're tied to a certain program, right? So you can't really touch it versus like the fundraising dollar, you could really use it to like grow your staff or, you know, even language, right? Mm -hmm. So we talked about that because that's not a program that people typically put funding towards, you know, but if that's a area where you need that, so then you want to make sure to continue to fundraise so you can help champion and continue to grow that. What are some things you wish you knew before jumping into the fundraising world? I think the biggest thing is that perseverance is key. Um, you know, as much as we, you are passionate about your organization's mission, somebody might not feel the same way. You might really care about the squirrels in Pasadena, but you know, that doesn't, maybe somebody else is more like more of a raccoon person, you know, you never know really. And I think that you really just have to figure out how to make your mission be relevant to somebody else. And more often than not, you're going to hear no or not even hear back from someone. So I think it's really important that even though you might have gotten a no from one person, you know, there's always somebody else who's going to have the same passions and interests that you and your organization are, are working in. What? They say no to you? I know. How, how dare they? How, how's that possible? You're, you're so charming. <laughs> how about in terms of like planning the event, right? What are some things that nonprofits should take into consideration before planning a fundraising event? I think one of the biggest things is to consider who your target audience is. 
Um, there's so many different kinds of nonprofit events uh, that you want to make sure that you're tailoring your event and your content to who's going to be there. So for example, if you're working, if you're putting on a mixer for longtime donors and board members, you don't want to focus on you know, your mission at broad and what your organization does, because they obviously already know that. They all already support you and you don't need to necessarily convince them to continue to supporting you. I think in that case, what you really wanna do is focus on those very specific stories and say, this is what we're doing now and then tell them this is what we're looking to do in the future and think about where the organization is headed and this is why you should continue to support us. Whereas, you know, if you're working, looking to bring in new donors, you know, those heart-wrenching stories, not every nonprofit has it, but, you know, if you can talk about those stories that really pull at the heartstrings and make somebody feel for you and these people that you're working animals or environment or whatever that you're working with, then that will really bring in those new donors and you can turn them into longtime supporters. So I think really tailoring your program and your event to your audience is super important. I also think that, you know, it is the nonprofit field and money is always top of mind, but there are certain times where you do need to think that it takes, you have to spend money in order to make money. There are so many different platforms now that help make event planning easier. And you can, you know, you although these platforms might cost a little extra money, since it makes the planning process easier, you can focus on other areas like sponsorship engagement and whatnot, instead of having to work down in the nitty gritty of registration or silent auction and all of that. So it's always really useful to consider where is it worth spending those extra dollars? Definitely, and I know, you know, we have a saying here at Innovate Marketing Group, we wanna work smarter, not harder. So that's what the tools is for. And you're 100% right. They sometimes do cost a little bit more, but in terms of efficiency, they save like 100 hours to 200 hours, right? And that's why sometimes people hire planners too, because when they actually, we have one client, she actually tracked how long it took her team to plan an event. And she's like, totally worth it. Because then now her team, it saves her team time away from their daily duties. And in addition, like, you know, the event is leveled up and someone takes care of it, right? So that's awesome. <laughs> in terms of gaining new sponsors or persuading individuals to donate, what is an area of opportunity that many nonprofits miss, Gary? Yeah, I think that a lot of sponsorship outreach and whatnot tends to happen over email, which is convenient and really easy because you just copy and paste an email, personalize it a little bit, and then, you know, you can send out hundreds of them. But it really is pretty impersonal. I think that when it comes to stewarding new sponsors, new donors, they really want to hear your voice and they really want to meet with you in person. And I know that during the pandemic, this is really difficult, but a simple phone call can you know, give the donor or sponsor an opportunity to hear your voice and really hear that passion that you have behind your mission. And it's a lot more convincing than an email. Um, so I think that if you were even able to get a face-to-face -face meeting, that's even better. Bring them brochures, bring, show them a video. You, know, you really want to engage with your donors as if they're a person instead of dollar signs. And I think that's really important. 
And then another missed opportunity in fundraising is the recurring donor. I think that this is, so this a recurring donor is somebody who you can get to donate a certain dollar amount every month. So say, you know, I, I donate to GVJCI $25 a month. If you think about that over a whole year span, that's $300, right? Math wise. Um, so, you know, if you can get that recurring donate donation, that's money that's coming in every month and no, not to say this is a good thing, but a lot of times donors forget that they even just said it and then it's, it's you know, the, the money keeps coming. So, um, or even long-term grants, if you're looking at corporate groups, um, if you get a grant that is five over five years, you know, that's money that you don't have to keep chasing down. So I think that recurring donations and long-term grants are often missed opportunities in the nonprofit world. And it's really wonderful when they diversify. Mm -hmm. You know, a few of the boards that we I sat on, basically we always talk about diversifying in terms of like how the funding comes in. Because when we one of the boards I sat on, when a big sponsor moved away from California, then mm -hmm. that dollar went away as well, or it would dwindle. It diminished mm -hmm. every year, but and they, but they prepped us, right? Mm -hmm. They would tell the organization we're leaving in three years, so every year just kind of see that number go down. Right, so it's important that you kind of plan. And I love what Carrie shared about the grants also, because you could go after the big dollars and then you could also go after the individual donation, but it's on a recurring basis. You know, kind of set up what makes sense for you guys. But I think that recurring is so smart because if people are passionate about it, you know, they just kind of, I know some of the nonprofits I donate to personally every year, like, it's not, some are automatic and others, I just get that slip that comes in like every Q4 of the year and I expect it to come also. So it's very strategic, like how they do this, especially in Q4, more people just feeling very giving, right? Cause it's November, it's thanks. I don't know, the month of being thankful and appreciation and giving back. I know I always feel extra, extra, I don't know, grateful doing things. Yeah. In November. Yeah. And that's why it's so important to keep in touch with your donors too. Um, you know, to make sure you're sending, even if it's a yearly reminder, like, hey, you donated to us at about this time last year. Would you consider, you know, making a donation of the same amount or maybe even larger? Um, so it's really important to keep that communication with your donors, even when they aren't actively giving. Um, otherwise, it's just another missed opportunity for you to get get some money in to help continue your mission. Definitely. And we also talked about, don't just reach out when you need money. Please also make sure you reach out when you have great programs that are coming up or, you know, some statistic you could share with them. That's also ways to continue to engage, right? Show them the impact you're making in the community. Don't just reach out and say, hey, Carrie, I need $30,000. Can you support us? Ryan Carrie's on the other side, like, I haven't heard from you in a year. Or who are you? <laughs> right? So you kind of have to really cultivate that relationship. I think that's, at the end of the day, why people end up supporting the organization. So jumping from that, what are some creative ways you can make sure to keep your existing sponsors, Carrie? Carrie, I'm interested, like how often back when you were in the nonprofit world, were you getting fundraising training every year? Yeah, so actually one of the first trainings I ever got was for events, and it was actually with Amanda. 
Um, it was a workshop hosted by the Asian Pacific Community Fund and Amanda hosted this events 101 workshop and that was when I was just like, oh my God, I need to work for this lady. <laughs> and look where we are like six years later, but um, you know, I think that different uh, nonprofits do put on some good fundraising workshops with professionals. I personally didn't get much training. It was kind of a learn as you go um, process, you know, learning just from my predecessors or from my boss on what communication styles to have as a development staff, um, what's important as far as, you know, event planning goes and what the board likes. Um, and so it was a very um, kind of, you know, Thrown, thrown into the fire and, you know, learn as I go. Um, so I think, but I do know that there are really useful programs that you can find online. I mean, on YouTube, you can find anything these days. Um, and there are different, you know, certifications and whatnot that you can get through different, um, you know, fundraising professional organizations and stuff like that. But um, yeah, personally, I didn't get very much training. <laughs> And I think, so that's why we want to close that gap, right? I know we are on a mission to help a million nonprofit here at our own agency. So we're actually wrapping up. The whole point is because we realize a lot of nonprofit, they are lacking in terms of the training, you know, and that's so crucial. I know at our agency, we do training pretty frequently, but it's because we use that training to help level up our, only, our own team skill set, but also the landscape continue to change. Right, even with two years ago when the pandemic hit, I think that's really another turning point because then now you're going from in-person to virtual. So a lot of people are like, how do you do that? You know, we mainly do corporate events, but over the years, we also help a lot of different nonprofit do their events. And it was there was definitely a gap there. So that's why we set out to kind of close the gap and to really to help them, you know, so make sure you check that out. We'll share more information later. But it's so wonderful. So yeah, it starts, I mean, like you said, right? You could either even find it on YouTube. And I think it, best learning is still doing it. So like the hands-on, but having that knowledge is important because then even you were saying like tools, right? If you're not kind of upping your skill every year or every so often, you're kind of just stuck at the same level. And that's why we also see a lot of the nonprofit events stay kind of stagnant sometime and it's like oh it doesn't get more exciting right versus for us we always have to like make the event more fun more exciting <laughs> so you talked about the changing landscape of fundraisers and you couldn't be more right corporate groups especially corporate sponsors aren't looking to support you know those 800 person chicken dinner style gala events anymore i think people nonprofits will still hold those kinds of events. And of course, some groups will still support them, but nobody not wants to go to those anymore. You know, they're, like you said, rather stagnant and um, not uninteresting, but, you know, so you need to figure out a way to level up your fundraisers. And, you know, people do tend to like these kind of smaller, more intimate mixers of maybe like 50 or 60 people where they can actually get to know who else is there instead of, you know, being at this huge event where you might not know half, even half of the people that are there. So 
I think it's very important to constantly rethink what you want to use as a fundraiser instead of just, you know, assuming this is how we've always done it. So this is how we're going to keep going. And then that's a great tie in to my next question for you. What are some best practices in terms of fundraising methods then? I mean, the most important thing is to always thank your donors, no matter how big of a donation it is, no matter how small the donation is. It's so important that you acknowledge every single one of your donors. Um, you know, some of them, if they make a larger donation, you can acknowledge them in other ways, bring them into your office and show them, give them a tour, you know, or take them out to lunch or something like that. But, you know, people are taking the time and giving their money to your organization. So it's really important to just always express that gratitude and say thank you, even if it's just by sending them a handwritten note, you know, it takes 15 seconds out of your day to just write, thank you and put a stamp on it and mail it out. Um, so it's always really important to be really sincere when you thank them. Another thing that I've um, come to appreciate, and this is very much an internal thing, is a well-managed donor database. Um, I think that being able to work in fundraising and see from you know when a donor started donating to present day is so important to consider a donor's history of maybe they've supported a certain type of program in the past. And so you have a new program that's coming out and you want to reach out to that donor and say, hey, you know, before you supported our beach cleanup and we're actually starting this new program, it's a lake cleanup. And I know you love to clean our bodies of water. So you should, you know, look into this and maybe volunteer and donate. Um, so I think that having a donor database that's well-managed really helps your donor stewardship process be organized and methodical. And then lastly, I think talking with your programmatic staff, I think the big, there's a big gap between the fundraisers and development staff and other admin staff, and then the programmatic staff who are out there, boots on the ground doing you know, the work of the nonprofit. And I think it's really important for you to connect with your programmatic staff so that you can gather these stories of the impact of the donations. Being able to meet with a donor and say, yeah, you know, we had somebody who supported us with $2,500 and they were able to fund, you know, an immigration clinic for 30 people. That's a little extreme, but you know, you know what I, I mean, you know, being able to say this is what your dollars are going towards and this is the kind of impact that you're having really can help convince a donor like, you know what, you're right, I should support you. Um, and of course, gathering as many stories as possible and being able to relate those stories to each donor. Each donor isn't going to have the same interest. You want to be able to have all of these stories in your bag. And when you're talking to a donor, you hear them mention somebody, you can say, ah, yes, I have a story that goes with that. And you can relate your mission to the donor and that makes them so much easier to convince to support you. Um, so I think it's really important to work closely with your programmatic staff and understand what exactly is going on in the nonprofit outside of you just trying to you know, fundraise. Those are some fantastic tips, Carrie. I love it, I love it all. 
And then how do you find ways to pitch the event to persuade corporations or even individuals to sponsor or even chair the event? I keep coming back to this um, you know, concept of relating mission to the donor, to the sponsor. So of course, you only want to reach out to sponsors who have a mission that aligns with their pillars of giving. So say you know you're in the environmental field and you want to start cleaning up the you know reducing carbon emissions or something like that you know you want to reach out to sponsors who have donated to that in the past or who have a vested interest in the environment you don't want to go reaching out to you know a not a corporate group that has never supported environment, environmental causes before. So I think it's really important to make sure that your mission is aligning with the pillars of giving first and foremost. Otherwise, you're, if you send out a cold call, you're never gonna hear from them. I think the next thing um, that's really important is explain why you think it's important for the sponsor to support you. So. Again, kind of going back to the relating mission, but you really want to personalize these asks. Um, if, you know, say you have a children's charity and you're reaching out to Disney, that's just like such an easy connection to make of, you know, we want you to be the chair of our event because we know that Disney brings so much joy to all the kids who go. So being able to say exactly why this um, corporate group or company should sponsor or chair your, your event, um, you know, being able to say, we've seen it in action, or, you know, we've seen you support something like this is really, um, really powerful and um, helps will help convince your sponsors. And then lastly, you know, a lot of these corporate groups will sponsor charities, nonprofit events because of the exposure they would get as a sponsor. So whether it's on social media, if you're a nonprofit that has a huge social media following, you should emphasize that and say, you know, well, we can create a video and post it on our social media and you can get exposed to our 40,000 followers. They'll be like, wow, you have 40,000 followers. That's great. And, you know, that's always a little bit more convincing. Something else is doing the brand, you can do branded activations, like what Amanda mentioned with the bathroom and Neutrogena. I mean, that's a fantastic way to, you know, again, bring the, the nonprofit's business and brand and connect it into something other than just slapping a logo on um, a program. And then, of course, I mentioned naming rights. That's always a great way to go about um, different ways to bring sponsors in. And then lastly, just the number of guests that will be at the event and maybe even the caliber of guests. If you're, you know, holding an event and there's going to be celebrities and influencers, mention that to your sponsors because they would love to get in the background of a influencer's post or something like that. Um, so mention that. What kind of guests will be there? Um, how many guests will be there? Not, um, corporate groups are always looking for that kind of information. I love the naming rights. That, I think that's like the most fun one. And then also if you're presenting sponsor, right? It has so much value. Make sure you definitely keep its value and just hold its value because sometimes people just want to give it away. But literally every single 
where you like promote the event and was it presented by. So it actually has a lot of value. And we always see that was an opportunity miss also because nonprofit didn't take advantage of that. You know, but those are great tips, Carrie. I love it. And then I know also in addition to sponsorship, grants and individual giving, there's also silent auction for on the event day, which I know for a lot of nonprofit they love, but also it just takes so much time. Uh, what is your tip on securing better silent auction items? I mean, you said it. I think silent auction can be either a really good investment of your time, or if you can't get those high caliber items, it might be better to just skip it. But I think the term better silent auction items is always relative. There's certain items that you'd wanna solicit for you know, a children's charity versus you know, an older adult's charity or something like that. So, um, but I mean, there are always items that unanimously can do well through across all silent auctions. Um, but I think that the first place that you need to look when you're trying to collect silent auction donations is within your board members. Um, your board members are already stakeholders in the organization. They already support you. They should be your biggest donors and your biggest advocates. So I think it's important when you're starting to fundraise to meet with your board members individually and kind of just talk through their networks with them. They might have a friend or a family member or a client who has a fantastic silent auction item that they can donate and not even know it. Maybe, you know, their brother has a timeshare in Hawaii and they're just like, hey, brother, can you donate a week long stay at your timeshare? You know, so sometimes board members don't even realize that they have this great network that they can ask silent auction item donations from. So I think tapping into your board members is super important. I also kind of like to sneak peeks at other organizations' silent auctions, um, especially if they have a similar mission. Um, I think it's great to just see who else is donating because obviously if they've donated to one silent auction that has a mission similar to yours, they could would consider donating to your silent auction. So I think it's good to not, I don't wanna call it um, stealing silent auctions donors, but, um, you know, you kind of share the wealth of information and, um, you know, hope that they're not just supporting an individual, but they're supporting the organization as a whole and will donate to yours. Definitely. I mean, I think it's great because you're right. Usually if they support a certain type of event, they probably will support something also similar because it's, like you said, it goes back to like matching the pillars of giving and their mission. Right, so if they're focused on children, then they want to do more children nonprofit give, giving, you know. And, and in terms of the silent auction, it's so funny that you mentioned because it's true. Like you got also think about what you spend your money. So one of the boards I sat on, one of the board members, she buys a lot of sprinkles cupcake for her clients and just a lot. She said so it was so easy for her to just ask, like, hey, can you donate a gift certificate for the silent auction? They're like, sure, no problem. And it's a once a year ask, right? And she buys so much cupcake from them. And sprinkles, as you know, is like super popular. So that's always a really great silent auction item. How about leaning into more, it's, in, sorry, let me start that over. Leaning into that a little bit more about silent auction, what are some of the best and worst items to sell for a silent auction that you have experienced? I mean, the best auction items are always the experiences rounds of golf, 
trips that timeshare in Hawaii, um, or even, you know, tickets to a Dodger game, um, a Clipper game. I'm a Clipper fan, so I'll say that instead of the Lakers. Uh, private dining experience at a restaurant, things like that often will exceed the fair market value in silent auctions. So fair market value is what you would get if you were to just, you know, buy it on your own. So I once had a silent auction item where it was a fashion designer donated the naming rights to a purse. So this lady bought this silent auction item and it was the Amanda purse that was for sale on the website, which I thought was really cool. You know, you can buy your own purse and they were like, oh, where'd you get that? It's like, oh, it's the Amanda and you know, it's your own purse. So I thought that was really cool. Um, I've also seen, um, you know, the owner of Yogurtland has donated, they were a friend of one of the board members, donated a private tour of like the Yogurtland factory for 10, and then they got to have a yogurt party afterwards. So, you know, these really kind of experiences that you can't get anywhere else are always really popular in silent auctions. Another popular auction item is alcohol. I mean, people love to drink their wine, their whiskey, their scotch. Um, so those items always are really popular. The one thing to note when you have alcohol though, is you need to be aware of the, um, uh, the Alcohol Beverage Commission's policies if you need to have any special permits or anything like that. Um, but the least popular items, um, I think that for me, the hardest items to sell tend to be those, you know, smaller gift certificates, like the $25 gift certificates, the $50 gift certificates that you try and package into, you know, another item so that it ups the value a little bit more. Um, it's, it's just like a little bit harder to sell. Uh, and then I've also noticed kind of a decrease in, um, interest in autographed memorabilia. Um, it, you would think that it'd be really popular, but I think the way it works is, unless you have somebody who's looking for that very specific celebrity, it's not really gonna sell. So, um, you know, certain athletes or um, movie stars and whatnot, um, you know, that's great. But I haven't, in the past, when I've had the items in silent auctions, they haven't sold very well. So always just kind of, relative to you know what's popular and trendy at the time I'd say those are great I would say there's one board that I sat on and then for that specific organization what we came to realize is this group does not bid on anything that has to do with gym or fitness right so <laughs> the staff were getting so many like donation for like here's a gym or, like it was Equinox which is really good or even um, Soul Cycle, right? And you'd be surprised, but this is just not the group that likes that. So we, as a board, you know, I, I made the comment like, why do we keep getting these donations or seeking for it when we know nobody wants this versus like what Carrie said, well, like the golf, the hotel, the restaurant, this group loves that, right? So you really need to also look at your organization and your supporters, your attendees that attend the event, what do they like? And go back and look at the statistic or your history, your data. I think that's always one thing that we always remind clients, like, well, can you pull up your data from last time? What does it show? And then a lot of them actually don't even take the time to do that. And I think that that's definitely an opportunity right there because you can see like, wow, this is really wow. There's some groups they love art. And honestly, art is so subjective. 
you know, and there's another group, they love Botox because they have a lot of supporters are like really wealthy women. So the Botox were fitting so high. So you got to think of just different opportunity. And there's one that I heard, and I didn't go to that event, but I just heard about this, but literally the nonprofit gives away a trip to an unknown destination, but literally you leave that night. So like if you're attending that event, they actually tell, they say, hey, if you win, like if you buy the raffle, you win. So then people that attend that buy the raffle, they actually all like are packed and ready to go. Because if they win, they leave that night on the private jet. So I was like, how exciting. Like, I don't know. That just sounds super exciting to me and very different. Right. And it's something they build up as their signature giveaway. That's really cool. Another one that I saw that was really interesting is um, the nonprofit CEO or president does like a, you know, like a fishing trip for two people. So it's kind of really cool. I mean, a lot of board members would bid on that one because it's really an experience that is free technically like you're it's at no cost to your CEO or your president and you know it's just kind of like a meet and greet and I've seen that item go for like thousands of dollars because people are just itching to you know hang out with the CEO and and get this experience so yeah definitely those experiences are are really popular. For sure. And then if you guys have good connection with the local like police department or fire department, that's also another really good one. And it's free, right? You just need to ask and literally you could do like a ride, ride, ride with the police and then ride along. Yeah. Ride along. Thank you. And I know that I only know that because I bought one. <laughs> one of, it was for one of our clients and I was just so touched by the story. So I bought one. I'm not good at attending these kind of events because I end up buying so much stuff. Um, I'm you're good. You're the target guest. Yes. <laughs> I, they always say I'm a very good guest, but I'm currently on probation because my husband said I bought way too many and we need <laughs> to use some. But another go is like the firemen's also same thing. And that one's like super popular kids. And I seen people use that like doing like a birthday party where they do like a surprise and delight. You know, we love doing surprise and delight at our agency just in general. So the surprise and delight where like a fire truck shows up, you know, and then the kids actually get to ride, go on. They don't get to ride it, but they can sit on the chair, go on the ladder. Um, it's like super fun. I also been to one of those birthday parties. So it's all just like make it really exciting, you know? And then you're at the end of the day, you're doing something wonderful for the charity. That's what we all keep in mind, right? That's so awesome. Well, Kara, there's been so many great key takeaways today. Some of my top favorites are diversifying your funding. I think just keeping that at top of mind. And then two, your mission really should match the pillar of giving so that you're more strategic in terms of who you ask. And then lastly, connect with your program team. I love that tip, Carrie, because a lot of, you're right. It's all about the story at the end of the day right? And showcasing the impact, not just like, oh, thank you for a million dollars and that's it, we're done. But it's like, this is what your million dollar, how it impacted the organization. And when you, when you share that, it actually makes the giving so much easier because also you have to understand the people who are approving these, they need to justify to their own organization why they're supporting your organization. If you provide them with those material, it just makes it that much easier. Right. 
Amazing. This has been really wonderful. Thank you, Carrie, for joining us today. I know there's so many more tips, so maybe we'll do a second edition. And for those of you that are tuning in, this episode is just the tip of the iceberg. We actually, like I mentioned a little bit earlier, have a new digital course called Reimagining Fundraising Events that is designed to help nonprofits make an impact. We will be giving you all the knowledge and hacks you need to become a fundraising master. So stay tuned on more information for that. Thank you for tuning in today. This episode of Event Up. If your company is looking to level up your event experience, we are your solution and we love doing it. We do it daily. We do all the work. You take all the credit. So give us a call. Don't be shy. <laughs> and don't forget to share and subscribe for more episodes. If you find this really helpful, share it with your friends. If you like what you heard today, probably, you know, especially we get really great speakers like Carrie that just have so much knowledge, in-depth knowledge. So they're just giving your their top tips, right? So it just really, we really are using this as a platform to share the knowledge with the community. So please leverage it and let more people know about it. Thank you again for joining us and we'll chat with you next time. Thank you for listening. Tune in next time on Event Up.